Biden's age, the, the shuffling, the gaffes, the memory, all of it, is something that they have witnessed firsthand for a long time. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Thursday, February 15th. Today, I'm joined by Dylan Byers to talk about a delicate question for White House reporters, how to cover Joe Biden's age. Reporters who have watched Biden up close for years can see the obvious signs of aging, but how should it factor into coverage of the president? We also talk about whether the reporters who worked at The Messenger, which died an ugly death last month, will ever see severance payments from the once cash flush media company. We'll discuss all that and much, much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting The Gentleman. The new series from Guy Ritchie stars Emmy nominee Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings. Eddie Horniman, played by Theo James, unexpectedly inherits his father's estate, only to discover it's part of a cannabis empire. And Britain's criminal underworld wants a piece of the operation, forcing Eddie to play the gangsters at their own game. Now available only on Netflix. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome to The Powers That Be. I'm joined today by Dylan Byers to talk about the media, of course. There is an interesting angle to all of these swirling questions about President Biden's age, whether he's fit for a second term, all of the blowback following Robert Hur's special counsel report, suggesting that Biden has memory problems, even though, you know, and John Stewart pointed this out in The Daily Show with Donald Trump and the Trump family. I feel like everyone in a deposition has memory problems conveniently. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. But Dylan, you you have a piece up this week that I think was an interesting angle to this. I know everyone's talking about his age and it feels like saturation, homogenous commentary at this point, but you actually talk to members of the White House press corps about how they're covering Biden's age, what they've seen up close over the last four years. What are you picking up here? I mean, like like anyone in the White House, reporters, you know, they don't see Biden every day, but they catch glimpses of him every day and they travel with him in the travel pool. They see him going in and out of the White House, up and down the steps, you know, to Marine One, to Air Force One. Do they think Biden's age is having an impact on his ability to run the country? So what I would say, Peter, is... Um they do not necessarily feel as though his age or they are not seeing evidence that his age um, has any effect on his ability to do the job. And I think as you and John have pointed out, this is the, the presidency is an office and he is surrounded by capable people and may very well be quite capable himself. However, what they are noticing, I surveyed many of them over the last 72 hours, what they are noticing, all of them to a T, is that the signs of age are notable, significant, perhaps more significant uh, than the coverage up until now would reflect, and that it is an issue that decidedly cannot be dismissed. And I think one thing 
that the her report, one of the reasons the her report was significant for the White House press corps specifically is because this is an issue, Biden's age, the, the shuffling, the gaffes, the memory, all of it is something that they have witnessed firsthand for a long time. It is something that they have been talking about amongst themselves for a long time. And what they told me is that in retrospect, they feel as if the coverage um, should have done more to reflect the private conversations that they were having. Because in many cases, they, what what they have been seeing has until now been a sort of tough and indelicate question to cover. Really interestingly, one one of the journalists I spoke to in the press in the White House press corps likened it almost to trying to address the issue of Bill Clinton's flirtatiousness, which was something that everyone felt like they were seeing covering the president in the White House, but couldn't really talk about until the Monica Lewinsky scandal. And so now they've sort of arrived at this point where they're saying, yeah, he is growing old. And and anyone who is dealing with an aging parent, an aging uh, partner, an aging spouse, uh, sibling, like knows what this is and knows what this looks like. And we can't ignore it. And I also think that there's some frustration among the White House press corps that the Biden camp has gone out there repeatedly with this narrative, which is Look, I've been in the rooms with Biden, and in those moments of crisis, in those moments when it counts, he is sharp as a tack. Sharp is a word you hear repeated often. It's it's a familiar talking point. He's on top of it. He is detail-oriented. I have heard this myself from sources close to Biden. And the problem is, and it's one that John Stewart, I think, got right in in his opening monologue on his return to The Daily Show, if that Biden exists— then you have to show us because what you what, what the Biden administration is asking now is they're asking the American people not to believe their own eyes, but believe the accounts of his advisors and associates. And that isn't going to pass the sniff test, not only of the American people, I don't think, but it's not going to pass the sniff test of the press corps that covers him day in and day out. And I, and I think that now in the wake of the her report, they finally feel the license to talk about this or to write about this and talk about it on air as much as they've been talking about it privately over the course of the past several months. What's interesting to me is Biden has always been, you know, the quote unquote gaffe machine, like his entire career, you know, going back to when he first ran for president and had to drop out because of plagiarism accusations. You know, he's so voluble. He talks so much that he just says the wrong thing, mispronounces a name, says something politically incorrect. And for a long time, you know, at least going back to when he ran for president in 2008, people did say, well, he's old and he messes up his words. And and it should also be said, like, he's a a lifelong stutterer who has to battle that in in the public spotlight. Like one of my favorite Biden gaffe memories was 2008, I think, when he was running with Barack Obama and he was in Missouri and there was a state senator sitting in the front row. And he was, I think I looked it up just now. His name was Chuck Graham. (laughs) Biden is at the podium and he goes, stand up, Chuck. Let him see you. He's giving a shout out to the state senator. Uh, Chuck Graham, unfortunately, was in a wheelchair. Uh, So Uh he couldn't stand up. And then Biden's like, ooh. But anyway, you know, I was talking to Biden friend and a longtime fundraiser in South Carolina, Dick Harpootlian, this week. And he was like, Biden's always 
messed up. Biden's always tripped over his words. Biden's always had memory. That's like part of his his brand. I remember my my grandma back in like 2007, 2008 would send me those like long chain forward emails, like the original like digital conspiracy theories. And it would be like Biden had his frontal lobe removed and he can't talk properly. Like there's always been this chatter about Biden just being mealy-mouthed and, and, and a little weird in the way he talks. But I think you're right that the press corps is noticing certain changes because we're all noticing them. I said this to John we're the other day. Them. If you go back and look at a soundbite from Joe Biden talking about immigration or labor or anything from literally 2019 or 2020, he looks and sounds younger. Uh, and it's noticeable. So, but the question I have is like the, and Ian Sams, who works for the White House Counsel's Office, sent a pretty furious letter to the White House press corps uh, right. ab- about some of this coverage, basically saying that the her report itself overstated how Biden handled the classified documents, found no wrongdoing, and making the point that like we're talking, we were talking about a documents case, and suddenly, in Ian's words at least, we're all we're talking about is Biden's age, his age, his age. Uh, like I kind of feel like reporters were talking about Biden's old age before all this happened. I mean, it's certainly taken on a new cast in in recent days. Yeah. But like, didn't the White House press corps always talk about how Biden's old? Well, I I think both. I think two things can be true. I think I think there were allusions to it. I think it was referenced, but it was never the center of the conversation the way it has become the center of the conversation in the wake of the her report. And and I guess what, you know, what I would say is there are so many sophisticated arguments that you could make here on his behalf. Right. And and you voice some of them. One, yes, he has always had a a stutter. He's all, he has dealt with these issues throughout his career. He has always been gaff prone. Yes. to, To all of Biden's critics, show me the evidence where any of this has affected his ability or the ability of his administration to execute on the job at hand, to pass signature legislation, to organize NATO against Russia, to, to guide us out of a pandemic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Fine. I, I get it. I buy all of it. And I also understand the argument that says, hey, look over here. Trump has 91 criminal charges against him yeah. and and like and is like, you know, fascist or fascist curious and is on the verge of undoing the American Democratic Project. I get all that. But you and I both know, and everyone in, in this business understands the way that politics works and understands that there are certain things that resonate with voters. An issue like age, which is not, you know, David Axelrod, who's been sort of sounding the alarm on this for years, had a quote about how the toughest political challenges are the ones that seem to confirm people's worst suspicions. This isn't a suspicion. This is something that people can see, something that people can hear. And it is something that resonates with people because everybody has to deal with the cruelty of time, right? In in their parents, in their in their spouses, in their partners. Th- this is a very tactile, tangible issue for people, and you can't make it go away by saying, "Look over here at the other guy." You can't make it go away by saying it wasn't fair or it wasn't responsible for her to bring it up in the first place. You can't make it go away by saying, I get that publicly it looks like this, but privately he's actually a totally different person. 
you have to reckon with like the the guy who's on screen because politics has always been about that that um that media element that visual element like and, and the retail politics and, and retail politics as it happens on television and the public perception and again this is sort of where coming back to the white house press corps has been so interesting because they've seen it they know it and they've been they've been talking about it amongst themselves for for a really long time and raising their eyebrows and sort of looking at one another and saying this this feels like a pretty big deal and now that is a conversation that they're that the American public obviously is is having and one that their editors and their executive editors have to deal with in terms of how they cover this over the course of the next nine months. Everyone go check out Dylan's piece about what White House reporters are saying about covering Biden in this moment. It's a really fascinating piece. I want to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to ask Dylan about The Messenger and some of the postmortem complaints about the now defunct media company. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting the new series, The Gentleman. Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings star in what the playlist calls an entertaining crime comedy filled with style, panache, and laughs. The Evening Standard raves, The Gentleman is peak Guy Ritchie, impossible not to love. Now available only on Netflix. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to The Powers of Be, everybody. I'm talking media with Dylan Byers. By now, if you if you do care about media, you've heard and listened to a lot of postmortem analysis of the now defunct Messenger, uh, which was shut down last month, a colossal media failure. They lit a ton of money on fire pursuing a ad-supported business model that felt straight out of 2007. Whatever you think about the Messenger about the decision of journalists to go work at a place with a very dubious business model, two things really jumped out as shitty to me. One, they took down the website. So like if you're a reporter, you know, your clips typically, like if you're trying to find a new job, you could link back to some of your work that would exist online. That's been, I don't know if it's been wiped, but it's not online anymore. And the other thing is for a company that had so much money, they didn't give severance, even a whiff of severance to a lot of these laid off journalists who are now looking for jobs. Dylan, Jimmy Finkelstein, the Messenger CEO, did an interview with Sarah Fisher uh, a few days ago and sort of defended the business model. He said he might try to put some of the <laughs> articles back online, but are any of these reporters gonna get any severance or healthcare at any point, or is that just a done deal. Uh, first of all, Peter, let me say, I, I too did not think that we would be spending so much time on the sort of post-game, post-mortem 
of the messenger. This, this is a site that has had demonstrably more coverage uh, <laughs> after its fall than it did during its existence. But there's a reason for that, which is that as poorly and and just sort of like foolishly as Jimmy Finkelstein managed the sort of the creation and the governance of the messenger, he has managed the aftermath even worse. What I have, you know, there, there was this when he shut down the site and, and laid off all of these journalists, there was this sort of, it was notable that none of them got any severance. And you would think if you lay off all of, you know, that many journalists, if you have any, any journalists without cause, they, they are owed severance. But if you don't have the monies to sustain your company, then ostensibly you could file for Chapter 7 bankruptcy and sort of th- therefore justify your inability to pay severance, which is sort of the conventional wisdom about what's going on here. Now, a complexifier for this, if you will, is that in his written employment agreements with many of the top tier staff, right, the most the, the top editors, top journalists, there were actually clauses. This is what I learned this week. There were actually clauses that said, I will guarantee, you know, you're guaranteed two months of severance, four months of mm-hmm. severance, depends on who you are. It was a condition for many people that he lured to the messenger from, in in some cases, stable jobs elsewhere, mm-hmm. that like, look, you're taking a risk. I get it. If this thing doesn't work out, you are paid through, at, you know, whatever. And that has added fuel to the anger of the messenger diaspora. And one sort of, yes, he has gone to Sarah Fisher at Axios and he has said, I'm sort of rethinking it and we'll, you know, we're going to see what we can do. But no one is terribly satisfied with that answer because it's short on specifics. One interesting subplot here, and I sort of found it amusing that he went to Axios, is that Puck readers will no doubt remember that uh, it was none other than Axios founder Jim Van Dye who lit up uh, (laughs) lit up Finkelstein in my email with like a, a just a fiery like dagger basically portraying him as a snake oil salesman and i actually in light of the severance question in light of the fact that he had gone to axios i reached back out to jim van de Hei, who uh reader <laughs> readers of my email will know has lit him up all over again and has basically jim gives, said jim gives good quote he, he gives, gives good, good quote, quote. <laughs> and here's he said he said how the hell do you live in Palm Beach and own a mansion in the Hamptons and say you can't pay severance and health care for people who risk their careers for you? He goes on and you know said so this is why we this is why people hate rich people et cetera et cetera. But he says this is the tough stuff of ownership. How you handle those shit moments defines you. He says I will gladly resend my comments and applaud Jimmy if he does right by the people he made promises to many in writing to provide severance and health care. Hiding behind his LLC might be legal, but it's lame. I, I look. I don't know. I don't know. You know if Jimmy like kicked uh, Jim's dog or what happened here, but um, but he's not wrong, right? I mean, he's not wrong. And this is ostensibly the messenger for Jimmy Finkelstein was was in part about his legacy and part of the reason why he fought so hard to keep it going. So we're told is because he 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 saw this as part of his legacy and he wanted this to work. If he cares a shred about his legacy, he should focus on the people who he on, on taking care of the people he laid off in a monetary way. And that would that would mean giving them the severance that they're that they're due. It turns out the people who write legacies, who write history are journalists. So, yeah, if he's looking <laughs> out for his legacy, he might want to 
try to help out some of the journalists who wield the almighty pen. Dylan, thanks so much for joining me, buddy. Thank you, Peter. Pleasure as always. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.